0: Welcome back to another amazing episode of the Everyday Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. Here we search out for individuals who have had growth in one way, shape, or form during their lifetime. Community, it is so nice to be back on this wonderful Friday, and happy Friday to everyone who has found us. And if you are new, this is your one-stop shop for everything fitness, nutrition, and mindset-related. So before we go any further, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on the podcast, head on over to YouTube, follow the YouTube channel, hit subscribe on over there so you don't miss out on anything when everything gets dropped. Speaking of everything being dropped, I hope you like the new blueprint I've kind of laid out here for you guys. It's three episodes a week. I think this is the first week or second week it's been going on for. So just to give you another rundown of the actual, the plan is every single Monday, Friday, and Sunday, you have episodes dropping. I'm going to try to hold myself to that. I know that is a lot. It may change as quarantine kind of wears off and I have to get my ass back into the gym to start training clients again and I actually become more busy, which will actually be good because I'm kind of, kind of feeling a little bummed out now. You know, It's kind of a, enough's enough. We're going on week seven, kind of week eight here in the quarantine time. And you know what? I'm going to be that guy and say, I just want everything to go back to normal because as far as everything's going, it is a shame of what is going on and people are getting very, very ill. Um, besides all of that, quarantine off the table. I just need to get back to my rhythm. I need to get back to my routine. I need to train people. I want to go give some handshakes, give dabs, and everything that we do, and just really get back to the gym and really get back on on like course with what I want to do. I feel like I'm a bit off course, and I'm trying to hold myself together here in these crazy conditions in the sea. I'm just trying to be that captain that kind of holds everything together. At first, it was super confident, and now it's kind of like enough is enough. I'm gonna tell you guys that. So. Monday, Friday, Sunday, things are dropping, podcasts are dropping, and Monday will be motivational Mondays. That, to me, it's super near and dear to my heart because of these couple of reasons. One of the reasons is we all know Mondays suck, okay? Now, I know there's a lot of people out there like, oh, Anthony, get out of here. Mondays are the best day. And, oh, man, no, you just don't have the right mindset. Like, I get that, guys. I get that. But sometimes the weekends get away from us. We have a couple parties to go to, whether that be just for fun or that be for a family member, you know, little Timmy's party or anything like that. And, or sometimes we just stretch ourselves super thin. We forget about planning our, planning Sunday night for our Monday for the rest of the week. So when that Monday does come, it kind of does suck. I get it. You fall behind. It's called life. And in this thing called life, anything can happen. So, you know, roll with the punches. Most of the times we have to roll with the punches. So that's why I say kind of Mondays do suck. All right. So, Mondays is, a, is near and dear to my heart because I, I come on there and between seven and like 12 minutes, I give to you what I would want to hear every single Monday morning. First thing you do is wake up in the morning, get yourself ready, toss on your headphones, toss on the podcast, toss on the YouTube channel, and listen to what I would want to hear in between my two ears to get myself going, to give me that swift kick in the ass to go tackle that Monday so that the rest of the week doesn't suck so fucking bad. And that is exactly what I'm doing on Mondays. Let's fast forward to Fridays. Fridays is the Everyday to Growth Podcast. I will have a guest on. That guest will always be new. Whether they have been on a podcast or not, I will line up somebody to be a guest that I believe can bring this community impact. And let me tell you, every single, I was just telling this somebody else the other day, I believe that every single one of these podcasts, the people that I have on, the guests that I have on, bring so much, much impact. I'm sitting there like I can't take notes fast enough. Like I tried not to break eye contact, you know, just for the camera purposes and for my guests because I want to write things down so much, but even in not writing them down, like I miss stuff. I have to go back and listen again and again and again because there's so much knowledge being dropped by each one of these guests. It's just it's it's incredible to me that people would want to come on this podcast and drop so much awesome, impactful knowledge on this community. It still blows my fucking mind to this day. It really really does. Then we go ahead and get on Sunday. Sunday is a super simple sit down over a hot coffee or a cold coffee or an energy drink, whatever you guys like. Wake up Sunday morning, grab that coffee, sit down with us because you can also hit the YouTube channel or hit the podcast. And we have on, I have guests on for Coffee Talk. And Coffee Talk is brand new for Sundays. And it's just a conversation between two people. Usually going forward, it's going to be kind of be a guest from the past. I will try to find some that I have not have been on before, but it kind of takes the podcast and the microphone out of it, and we just sit down and rap about life and kind of what's going on and how we start to plan out our Sundays to crush our Mondays. So if you could, you see a little bit of like what's going on here, right? Like Friday is uh, end of the week podcast drop with an awesome awesome guest who's just going to crush it for you, so you can take items, anything he or she says for actionable items impactful actionable items that you can use immediately for the weekend Then on Sunday you wake up, have a cup of coffee and you get to hear how people that I know are planning out their Sundays to crush their week going going in advance and then on Mondays you wake up and you have me crushing motivation for you first thing in the morning to give you that swift kick in the ass to get yourself motivated. Now guys, this episode on Friday, is an amazing episode. I finally get on a good friend of mine, Dr. Gavin Weir, who as of right now is just opening up, obviously when this whole quarantine is over, he will be opening up his brand new business venture called Method Power. It's actually located literally right next door to his Method Athletics physical therapy private private practice. And he has been working with professional athletes, high school athletes, um, gen pop, and fixing people through movement. And we dive deep down that rabbit hole on why movement fixes all and what you can do today to help yourself move a little bit better. So you guys, please, like I always say this every single episode, but it's a super important part to this. Grab your pen. You know, grab some paper. If you're driving, I get it. If you're, on, if you're doing something else and you're at work and you're trying to listen to this and kind of cheat some time off work, I get it. But if you can, grab some paper, grab, some pe- uh, grab a pen, grab some paper because you're gonna wanna write these things down. And there's so many good actionable items that Dr. Gavin Weir brings to the table. We talk all things programming, what's going on in life, where his journey has come from, from going down the path of becoming a physical therapist and kind of how he's gotten there today. So let me tell you what, what an amazing episode. And like always, guys, I need to talk about our podcast sponsor. It is Ambition Threads Company. Go ahead and head over to ambitionthreadscompany.com. Go pick out some new stuff. As of today, when you guys are listening to this, the brand new hoodies are dropped and they are complete fire, complete fire. Not to mention, girls, go get some go get some leggings, guys, get some cutoffs, get some t-shirts, get some hats, get the unisex windbreakers, the unisex hats. There's so much awesome, awesome apparel that this company is banging out on a weekly, I'm talking weekly, like every single week there's a drop. It's so wild, I just don't know when they're going to stop and when the owner, Tyler, is going to stop. And you guys, when you do check out, hit that code EVERYDAY. That's all caps, every day for 20% off any and all orders going forward. But without further ado, let's get on with the podcast. Guys, girls, ladies and germs, my good friend, Dr. Gavin Weir. What is going on, brother? Dr. Gavin Weir is finally in the house. I finally got you on the podcast, man. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for being here, bro. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, man. Long time coming, man. Well, we've been talking for a couple months now. Actually, more than that, because uh, when you opened up your first facility, I was like, we got to get you on the podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was probably, I, I forget when we met. Um, that had to have been close to a year ago now. I mean, eight months, probably, eight, eight to 10 months.
0: Yeah, definitely, man. So uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room really quick, man. How's quarantine life treating you and how's everything going? Are you kind of laying low or are you keeping your mind and your body busy or what?
1: It's give and take hundred uh, percent. It's, it's uh, take it day by day. That's, that's all it is. It's especially difficult having one business and then opening up another one next door uh, and having that second business be kind of a standard gym slash training facility. It's uh, it's a headache, but you just work with it.
0: That's awesome, man. So community, I know uh, Gavin's never been on once. Usually a lot of our guests come on once or twice, but uh, Gavin, if you can just Dr. Gavin, where I apologize, Uh, My first doctor on the show, by the way, so congratulations on that, man.
1: (laughs) Fake doctor, but we're we're good with that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't say that. Don't say that. You've done the work. It's true. Um, If you would just like to kind of go a little bit of background on who uh, Dr. Gavin Weir is to the community, that'd be great, man. Introduce yourself. Yeah, yeah. So uh,
1: I'm a doctor of physical therapy, uh, as well as a certified strength and conditioning specialist. Um, Now USAW Olympic weightlifting coach um what else do I have by my name at the end of the month I'll have a sports nutrition certification emergency response for the athlete certified uh, plenty of different things but what it really comes down to is uh, anything movement related or related to the athlete that's what I try to specialize in that's what my background is i uh, worked with pro athletes continue to work with pro athletes uh, but my kind of passion lies within that youth athlete group so high school athletes and that's why I opened up my facility here in Frankfurt, Method Athletics. Uh, we opened up in October of 2019. Been going strong through that whole time. Uh, saw a need for a little bit more of like a traditional weight room, I guess you could say, for these high school athletes um, that might not necessarily be looking for personal training. They just want a place to place the lift as well as powerlifters, Olympic weightlifters. So in uh, um, late February, early March, We started building out um, Method Power Gym next door, and then the whole COVID situation hit right smack in the middle of March when we were about a week away from opening. So we've been just sitting on that, making sure everything's perfect in that time period and getting ready to go on that. So uh, two businesses right next door to each other, both shut down, but just (laughs) looking through
0: Hey, man, it'll be open soon enough, and it is beautiful. You guys, if you are not watching this on YouTube, you need to just click on it really quick and watch the first five minutes. Gavin is actually right in front of his black and white wall. He has beautiful black and white in both of his facilities, and everything's done super perfect, man. So I just want to congratulate you on that. It's one of those things where when you finally walk into a place and your jaw drops, I think I don't know if you were going for the wow factor as much as the, the per, like the professional look, but dude, you've, I think you've hit A to Z and what you were going for. And I've, I'm always impressed every time I walk into your facilities. Thanks, man. I really
1: appreciate that. Um, it's, it was a lot of work, blood, sweat, and tears, um, especially on my end with, with the build out sort of deal. But, uh, the goal really was just to show the attention to detail that I like to have. I think, that's one thing that I want my athletes that I work with to have is an attention to detail. So if they walk into the facility and things are just kind of haphazardly thrown together and it looks like an eighties era gold's gym, then the, they're not going to have that, uh, that same approach as when they walk into a facility and it's clean, it's put together. It's, it looks disciplined. So they behave a little bit more disciplined. I think that's one thing from talking to other coaches in the area Uh, when it comes to strength coaching personal training what have you is that they struggle with these age groups with uh, making sure that these kids uh, or young adults are approaching training with the right mentality and I think just creating the environment of discipline and neat and in order and everything's in place helps them act out that way as well so
0: yeah, I do think we can dive into the mindset of that too. And like, you know, you know, I'm all about mindset and how everything, everything has to work off of that as being the base. Do you feel like you do kind of like you, you bring that to the table when people walk in, they're like, oh, okay, now it's serious. Like now these kids actually know what to do, how to act. And you actually don't have to say what you want when they come in. They should know after the first time, like, hey, this is what we're doing. Kind of like, if you don't like it, you know, there's a door type mentality. Yeah. I think it's kind of like, do you feel that that's a huge in the mindset to actually be in the right place for your training, no matter what it be?
1: No, I, I agree 100%. I think um, I think we can always talk about that, that type of training should be used within a, within a youth athlete. But even at the professional level, these athletes have a hard time getting within the right headspace. Like, there are psychologists that work for these sports teams, particularly baseball teams. Um, that help address these issues with the professional athletes so it's a, it's a problem that occurs across the entire spectrum and and it's not only athletes it's people as well so I think mindset is a huge thing being in, in the right environment I think that's something that probably has hit home for a lot of people uh, being at home outside of the gym too is they might have access to the same equipment that they do at home that they do at a gym they might have built out a home gym but it's just not the same and right. so Environment is 100% a factor uh, in in training and I think youth athletes just get impacted by it a little bit more than the rest of us do. But again, it's it's a problem across the whole spectrum. So um, that's why we don't do group training here. It's, it's all either one on one or it's kind of like an open um, process. So I'll onboard an athlete with you know, six or eight sessions over the first month, just make sure that they learn the movements and the core base of what we do here. And then we build out programs for them to come in and train on their own on their own schedule. So that's one thing that has kind of worked out where it's not a group class, it's something that's built specifically for them. And um, they can come in and get their work done and it teaches them self-discipline. It teaches them how to, perform the movements without, um, I guess, like a personal trainer sitting right there looking at them. Maybe I'm across the gym, across the facility, and I got an eye on them, but they don't know it. So if it comes down to they're not doing the movement right because they don't have their button in the gear, then I can kind of step in and do that. So it, it's worked out really well so far. I'm really happy with how, uh, how the athletes have been progressing along.
0: Yeah, and that's very uh, what you do too is um, besides the movement part, we can get into that in a minute, but you are very sports specific and uh, position specific as well also like linemen to receivers to running backs to first baseman outfielder like you are very sports specific in what they need to be doing, obviously at your level of teaching and your level of coaching where you're at and what you've learned over the past you're not going to train a lineman the same as a running back. And like, don't you, you you build out those programs per position. Don't you also, it's kind of like one of your specialties to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, sports specificity, especially now, uh, with training has kind of become a buzzword too, where even within the realm of physical therapy, uh, you you got probably the most popular physical therapists on Instagram are doing all these fancy exercises with uh, with a football player that has a football involved. You know, they're standing on a BOSU ball on one leg playing catch with a football. There's a time and place for those sorts of things, but sport specific doesn't exactly mean directly mimicking uh, the, the movements that these athletes are performing in sport. It's just specifically targeting the muscle groups or the types of movements like a hinge or a squat or something along those lines that translate to their sport. So for instance, with a baseball athlete, I'm going to do a whole lot more shoulder stability work than I'm going to be doing gross strength work, upper body with for like an offensive lineman uh, for football.
0: Why so, is that? Can you tell us why that is really quick? Just yeah. because it's, it's it's used so much as the shoulders are used so much in rotational work. So do you want to focus more on that?
1: Yeah. So I guess um, the probably the best way to explain it would be like a, a baseball athlete, any throwing athlete for that matter is going to use a lot more of the – well, they're going to require a lot more stabilization out of their shoulder girdle um, than, like, an offensive or a defensive lineman for football. Uh, so, for instance, most of the power from a pitch uh, with a baseball pitcher is going to come from their lower half. Um, we, all we have to do is just set up the athlete in their upper half in the right position for them to maximize that power effectively when it comes to the upper body. So we want to train the shoulder girdle in terms of stabilization and force production in the right way and maybe doing movements that position their shoulder in something that looks similar to their pitch as opposed to just developing g- gross strength. So when it comes mm-hmm. to uh, bench pressing, for instance, yeah, we use the bench press for baseball pitchers all the time. And that's one thing that's kind of a hot topic for strength coaches, physical therapists is that baseball players shouldn't bench. I completely disagree. I think there's no other way, uh, no better way to engage the pec major and the lat uh, than doing the bench press as long as it's performed correctly uh, but what we use here is like a bandbell bar so it's a bamboo bar which you may have seen online it's the or well you've seen it because you train it here too yeah yeah uh, there's a uh, it's it requires the bar shapes so it requires stabilization so they can perform that bench press movement that requires the pec and the lat but we shift some of that load over to the dynamic stabilizers of the shoulder girdle, So the mid and low trap, upper trap, rotator cuff, that sort of deal. So it's, it's just looking at, hey, how do we get these athletes where they need to go in terms of what needs to be working and what needs to work more over the others? So,
0: Yeah, and I think, I think that's what, what is super unique uh, about your place. Now, I've seen physical therapists in the past – and I've seen chiropractors in the past. And it's one of those things where it's like, I've never felt like I was taken care of. And let me explain really quick before there's a lot of hate mail coming on here. Yeah. When I came to you, we started training a little bit. And I, would, I came up to you after a month or so. And I'm like, hey, this is starting to hurt on me. This is starting to hurt on me. So you had me come in, literally take my shirt off, do the most basic, what I thought was the most basic, like, how is he going to even see how I move doing these things? And you were able to pick up a plethora of shit of why I was moving the way I was moving. And I th- let me digress. I believe your place is so specialized in that because you take your athletes through an entire spectrum before you even just – throw them underneath the barbell. And I think that's one thing that people don't understand when you said anything that has to be done with movement during your introduction of this first, right in the beginning of this podcast, you actually assess the athlete or the client that comes in. Then from there, you know what to do to fix that movement. If anything is, is wrong and that imbalance, because that's usually what things are, right? We think we're injured, but it's usually just an imbalance. I think that's your, that's what I think your specialty is. And that's why I just send everybody your way because without, uh, without fixing that problem, it's going to continue to go and imbalances are just going to grow and grow and grow. And I'm sure you see it every single day of your job.
1: Yeah, I think um, there's uh, plenty of different things to talk, to talk about there when it comes to how you approach the treatment of an athlete or really any individual in that matter. But if someone comes to you uh, from the perspective of uh, a pain problem, for instance, if we're talking about the situation with you, uh, you have to look at it. At, holistically and not holistically as in we're going to burn some incense and you know hang out but uh, (laughs) you have to look at the whole the whole person um in terms of what pain problem they're having and the best example again just to use that baseball athlete uh would be uh, a pitcher so when it comes to tommy john you know mcl injury at the elbow but that inside of the elbow injury is most of the time, occurring due to an issue somewhere else in the chain. It's not the elbow that's breaking down because it's weak. It's the shoulder break. It's the shoulder causing that elbow to break down. So we have to look um, at movements someone is performing on a consistent basis and identify the problem before we can actually fix it. And I think that's one thing where uh, I, I guess, for instance, the whole and we'll probably get to it at some point too is the the distrust of the medical field now uh, comes from is a lot of people don't like going to physicians. They don't like going to physical therapists um, because they think one, it doesn't work or two, they, they're not being paid attention to enough. Um, that's, that's a really big problem. I for, that, forget the actual number, but it was something along the lines of for, a physician friend had told me where if you just spend an extra three or four minutes with a patient um, before they leave from the physician standpoint, so a medical doctor, Uh, where on average, those visits last between eight and 15 minutes. If you just spent an extra three or four minutes with them, you are two thirds likely less to be sued. And that's just because you create more of a relationship with the patient and you practice more effectively. So that's one where physical therapists and chiropractors can kind of, um, not capitalize on it, but use that amount of time they spend with a person to their advantage. And it's starting to move further and further away from that just by merit of how our healthcare system is built we we bill hours by the, by the minute, um, in physical therapy where, you know, I put down, I spent 15 minutes with this person, I get X amount of dollars. So if I can get three people in the room and work with all of them at the same time, I can bill all of them and get more money. Or if I can dovetail my patients and schedule them every 15 minutes and they're for hour sessions, I get more money that way. So mm-hmm. you, the industry as a whole, the healthcare industry is just trying to maximize a profit. And that's why I've stepped away from it a little bit is because I want to spend w- more one-on-one time with my patients. So
0: where, yeah. So let's talk about that. Where did the love of that come from? Cause I know when you went to school, was there any talk of uh, doing anything else? Or did you always know that you want to be a phys, a, a PT, a physical therapist, excuse me, but like, cause you were into powerlifting or training at that time. Um, yeah. Like you were, you know, doing all you're strong, strong dude, strongest doctor I know. Um, but like, is, where did that love come from, man? Like, how did you want to start working with athletes? Cause is that something that you just kind of took a path to?
1: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a loaded question. Again, <laughs> long answers to short questions, but, uh, where this all started mainly, I think going back, uh, you know, red hair, uh, chubby kid in high school. So <laughs> I, I was an easy target, so to speak. And when it came down to it, by the time of my freshman year, I was having, uh, panic attacks, anxiety attacks. I thought I was getting sick um, before I would go to school. I ended up missing 14 days. One of, I think it was like the first or second quarter of my freshman year of high school, and primarily impacted by uh, the, the social stress involved in it. So uh, the one thing that kind of was my saving grace was exercise. Um, I started off with with P90X, just rocking that out, the right. stuff in my basement, and then went from there into lifting weights. So it took about a year before I had the confidence to walk into a gym, um, and even then, that was nerve wracking. And it, the love for finding some control over my life within that situation of exercising was was fantastic. So I just grabbed onto that, and then from there, just wanted to expand my education. So I'm just when it comes down to it, uh, a massive nerd. And I found something that I loved and I just ran with it. So looking at 10 plus years later now, and that's where I'm at. I was really just, what's the best way that I can keep learning about movement and exercise and become a master of it. And that's how I ended up here.
0: That's awesome, man. I love that. I mean, that's a, it just goes to show everybody like you never really know, right? Like I think, I don't even know if we've ever talked at that before personally, even over a beer, but that's one of those things where you just never really know what you want to do. And so one thing kind of pushes you towards that and congratulations on that. Cause I think you're one of the best at what you do, my man.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I mean, everybody says it too. You walk into a gym, any commercial gym, and most of the time, the biggest guy there is also going to be the one that's most likely to help you if you walked up to him and said, Hey man, I got to learn how to squat. He's going to jump all over that probably because he came from a place where you were. It might've been 20, 30 years ago, but at one point in time he was at where you were and he's excited about the fact that, listen, here's another opportunity for me to pass this information along. So that's what I love so much about like the powerlifting community in specific uh, is they, they just love to teach and to learn. Uh, they're they're completely driven by that, and it and it provides a lot of opportunity for self discipline and growth. And uh, it's it's an absolute blast. So I'm super. Ex- I mean, that's just another piece of why I'm excited for next door to open is to get back into that community because I've been putting all my time in uh, in here. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, so that's what's really neat. I don't know if we talked about that enough, but your one building, I know when I first started coming there, that place right next to you, which is the exact same size, correct? And then you were like, this wild idea of, we were all just kind of like, hey, you should probably buy the place next door too. And I think after a while, it's kind of like, yeah, I bought it and we're going to do something with it. So <laughs> how did that come about? Did you just feel like if you were going to move anywhere instead of opening up another shop somewhere else, it was easier to do next door or- did you just feel like that was a move you had to make? like it was a perfect opportunity. It's literally the wall next to your other wall.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's always been a dream of mine to own a gym. Uh, and when it came down to it, I, I think after I opened up the, the clinic, the private facility, Method Athletics, um, there more and more of a demand was showing up. So I would interact with uh, high school athletes that wanted to come and train within the facility. But when it came down to their budget, which – for the most part is determined by their parents. It just didn't fit. And and that's okay. You know, there's, when it comes down to it, the services that you and I provide as physical therapists or personal trainers, they do their luxury expenses. Um, so I would meet these athletes that just wanted a place to train and a place to grow and to learn from, as well as met a ton of power in the area. There wasn't really anything in terms of specialty training. And, the space next door was open and I could get it leased. So I decided to give it a shot. I mean, found a way to make it work money-wise and made it happen. So it's it's one of those things where I still don't necessarily believe that it's real yet, but uh, <laughs> hopefully it sticks around for a little bit longer, especially with the COVID situation. But yeah, it's 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 exciting. And I think uh, the area for one thing is gonna love it. It's, it's one of those things where it's not your standard powerlifting gym, again, the whole like we were talking about it's it's neat it's clean it's put together all the equipment is brand new you treat it right and it treats you right back um, so I think a lot of people are going to be really really happy with it because it's not it's not it's a powerlifting gym but it's not a powerlifting gym so right. good
0: community I'd like to take a quick second here and just talk to you about the Strong Coffee Company now Strong Coffee is an instant organic coffee. Fortify with grass-fed collagen protein to help support joints, hair, skin, and nails. Also has MCTs for cognitive and fuel metabolic function and l theanine to improve focus and memory. Not just besides that, guys. It comes in super simple, easy on-the-go packets that you can toss in your bag on your way to work when you get to work. So you don't have to drink that burnt-ass coffee or go ahead and get a 6 or $7 latte that you know has nothing good in it for you and has way too much sugar. Now, what's great about this company is the fact that the caffeine is actually sustained release caffeine, which means no crash and no jitters because what is actually in the coffee is actually good for you, unlike most coffee. And like all strong coffee products, it is gluten-free, lactose-free, and GMO-free. So why grab something that's not going to do anything for you and it's going to make you crash in 20 minutes? Grab something that's good for you that actually gives you some protein and some healthy MCT fats so you can think clearly. Head on over to strongcoffee.com and use code everyday at checkout, all in caps every day for 15% off any and all orders. Thanks a lot, guys. Now back to the show. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely not that uh, powerlifting gym that's uh, dark and dungeonous. It's definitely <laughs> beautiful, and yeah. everything is brand new. And I think you're gonna have to beat people off with a stick as soon as you open those doors, man, for sure. Because I know, you know, uh, community. If you listen to the last podcast, it was uh, Steve Stremi and then it was Rami, and everyone just keeps talking and talking and talking um, about what's gonna happen with Method Power, and I think it's gonna be, it's gonna be amazing. Not to mention the community that's gonna be built inside those walls. I think it. I mean. It, will it surprise you? Of course it will as an owner, but I think it's really going to surprise everybody of what you've created from everything as simple as just the music. I know you made that post on the uh, the Method Power Instagram page. If you guys please go follow Method Power Instagram page. And um, just like posting that for Sonos, how like we're going to have control of the music. I think that's just like, that's un that's fucking unheard of, man. It's just unheard of.
1: Yeah. I, I, I mean, just a little bit of a stubborn creativity part, but I, a lot of it is just because I... You know, I'm just one another one of the guys, and sometimes it comes down to uh, sometimes it hurts. I guess the professional relationships because I'll make a professional relationship with someone, and because I'm so laid back and open about things, like the people will become all buddy buddy with me. But that's just how I am, who I am. But uh, when it came to building the gym next door, I'm another powerlifter. I'm another, you know, I certification in Olympic weightlifting. Like I know about those things. I've taught seminars to other, other physical therapists and personal trainers about here, here, how, here's how we identify uh, issues with Olympic movements and then bodybuilding. Like I've worked with bodybuilders before the, that sort of deal where I'm in the gym, I'm the one doing it too. So when it came down to, Hey, we need better clips on these bars. I'm going to get the better clips on the bars. Cause I know how annoying it is to be deadlifting 500 pounds and the plates are sliding all over. So it's all those small things that I think are going to make the real difference for people, but uh, it's, it just comes from a place of, I guess, experience, shared experience.
0: Yeah, and it looks like you definitely uh, put everything that you've ever wanted into this gym, for your, selfishly for yourself. I know you did.
1: Yeah, yeah no, it's, uh,
0: it's funny because
1: I, I had to hold myself back a little bit. I haven't spoken too much about it, but one thing that we're doing to help build up the community too is uh, we've set aside like an equipment fund. So there are pieces of equipment that I was realizing, you know, might not necessarily need it. <laughs> but uh, so so I set some of that money aside before pulling the trigger on things. And we're going to hold polls uh, within the first three months of opening and, and as well as wow. into the future too, where people can suggest pieces of equipment and then we'll vote on it. And if it gets enough votes and it's within the budget, then we're going to pull the trigger on that sort of thing. So just another way for people to kind of determine like, Hey, this is a second home for me and I get to pick what's in here as well. So,
0: well, I could definitely say that that's unheard of. So good job on that. <laughs> I think that's a really neat thing too. And I think you're going to have a lot of really neat equipment. Can you share any, and just a little bit of what you guys are actually going to have in there? Can you share just a couple things?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, anybody that's been following the Instagram knows, knows it as well. But uh, there's four uh, deadlifting platforms with band pegs, uh, six power racks, four of which are standard power racks. Another two are going to have ISO arms, jammer arms attached onto them. Um, they allow essentially those racks to be converted into really any upper body, uh, as well as plenty of lower body movements that you want machine wise. Um, Cable attachments on those guys too. functional trainer for cable movements, combo rack, calibrated plates, uh, Olympic bumper plates, Olympic barbells, Bella bars, uh, deadlift bars, uh, belt squat, a standalone belt squat, 50 feet of turf, landmines, just anything when it comes to functional training. I hate to use the buzzword, but looking at non-machine training, everything's in there. And when it comes to the machines, we got two guys that will turn into anything really that you want it to be as long as you're creative with it. And Our staff will always be around to help people set stuff up on that end too, but it's pretty much everything.
0: Dude, that's awesome. I mean, congratulations on all that. I can't wait to see it and, and uh, I can tell the people I've, I've, I walked through when you were unboxing some things and I couldn't go too far. And I've walked in it when it was an empty space and all I see now and drooling over all of your pictures. So good job with the Instagram too. It's definitely beautiful pictures on Instagram. And I think everyone's going to be super surprised. Like I said, community go over there and check out the uh, Instagram page as well. Cause it is pretty, pretty mind blowing, man. It really is. So Let's get into a little bit of the training part, man. I know all with all those things you just said, too, um, with all the bands, I think that's something that a lot of gyms don't know what they are and or they've probably seen it due to – uh, many powerlifters out there, probably the Godfather himself, you know uh Louis Simmons, everyone knows what bands look like, but i don 't think really people understand what bands actually do and how beneficial they can they can really be. Do you feel that that 's a staple in yourself or your own training and or the program that you give to all your athletes? Is that something that you 'll just never stray from and you believe in it completely
1: without a doubt, yeah. Okay. Um, I would agree. Uh, I've listened to Ross's podcast as well, so I know you guys have touched on as well as I mean, if people have been listening to things, um, the Louis Simmons side, West Side Barbell, uh, but what it comes down to is, um, and West Side has been one of the biggest groups alongside of Elite FTS uh, to, um, I guess, perpetuate the knowledge regarding accommodating resistance is what what I prefer to call it as. Uh, where the resistance on the barbell is changing throughout the range of motion of a movement. So you can do that with plenty of different training tools. You can do it with bands, you can do it with chains. Um, I've seen people use like rip cords too. That's another thing uh, that, uh, oh man, I'm going to struggle with the name. That's terrible. Um, But there's there's plenty of different ways that you can change the intensity of the movement throughout, its, throughout its range of motion. And that's why I love bands so much is one, they're easy to set up when it comes to the chains, they're just a complete pain in the ass to get together. Um, so the bands are really effective because you just slap them on. As long as you have the, the parts to it, like band pegs on a deadlift platform right. band pegs on your squat rack, you're good to go. And the bands are cheap and effective. So they're really easy way to use accommodating resistance, but, Accommodating resistance, all it does is it makes the movement harder where it, is, where it is easiest, and it makes the movement easier where it is hardest. So, for instance, with a deadlift, uh, picking the weight up off the ground is generally the portion of the movement that's most difficult. So, the weight is lighter because the tension on the band isn't there. And then, as you get closer to the lockout of a deadlift, the, the weight is, or the resistance is increased and it's easier at that portion of the range of motion of the movement. So what it allows an athlete to do is to train closer to 100% effort throughout the entire range of motion of the movement. So it, for one, um, requires athletes to increase their force output as they go through the range of motion, which is something that happens frequently during sport. For instance, with a sprint, um, you want to continuously drive through um, the wall, so to speak, Uh, If we're training athletes to sprint, it's often giving them that cue of there's a wall in front of me, in front of you, and you need to push and continue to drive through it. So, kind of creates that wall for them there. And then the other portion is it helps reduce uh, the likelihood of injury. So, um, generally, the most um, the most torque or the lever arm is increased on the lumbar spine or the low back at the bottom of the deadlift or off the ground. So if we can decrease the amount of resistance there and increase the amount of resistance at the lockout where there is less of a moment arm or torque on the spine, then we'll be better off there as well. So it's a safe training tool. It's effective from sport applicability. Um, it's, It's just all around appropriate to use in athletes. And it's almost interesting to me because accommodating resistance within the strength and conditioning world isn't, uh, exactly favored upon,
0: uh, yeah. which me,
1: I, I'll never necessarily understand.
0: But I mean, yeah. And you see so many people too, that like, if you see anyone that just starts using them, like they break through their plateaus right away. It's so wild to see because they've never built that type of strength before. And since I've used them before, but probably very improperly until I came to your place, and the things that I was doing and how strong I got just on my bench press right away, I was like, how the fuck is this possible, man? <laughs> like, it's so weird. You think you're so strong until you start using the bands for resistance. And you're like, and you know what? It doesn't beat you up as much as you would get underneath some heavier weight. For me personally, I know this may just be a personal thing. Um, but it doesn't beat me up as much, you know, like doesn't fuck my shoulders up as much as a, a just trying to push through 80, 90% of things, which shouldn't do it anyway at my age, you know what I'm saying? But putting those (laughs) bands on there, it, it really, you're not beat up the next day. You know what I'm saying? You're not having a hard time showering.
1: Yeah. Well, it's a great cook talks about it, um, where you have self-limiting exercises and I believe the most, um, well-known example of his is barefoot running. I don't like to use the barefoot running example as much, but the idea is that with the self-limiting exercise, uh, it's much less likely to hurt yourself because if you're doing it incorrectly, you will either stop doing it or you cannot perform the movement. So another example that he uses is the front squat. So if you have the barbell in front of yourself and you lose your position on the front squat, that barbell is going to end up on the ground before right. you hurt yourself in mo- most situations. And again, that's not an end all be all allegory, but it is a good idea to try to incorporate as many self-limiting exercises within an athlete's training as possible, because you do want that mental intensity there where they're approaching a movement and trying to work close to a hundred percent. You never want an athlete maxing out on a consistent basis, but you want them near maximal effort, on some training days. So it's best to use a self-limiting exercise. And in my opinion, I think the bands are a form of self-limiting exercise where if you hit a portion of the range of motion where the weight's increasing and you just can't meet it, that band's gonna win first before you start having a problem. And then you can just get rid of the weight or call for a spot, for instance. Uh, And then when it comes to the shoulder deal, I mean, you're using bands on a bench press, the shoulder is in a compromised not a compromise, but it's, uh, it's more likely to become compromised in the position where the barbell is directly on your chest. That's just how our shoulders work. That front of the shoulder, the anterior joint capsule, um, is getting stretched out in that position. So if we can decrease the amount of load in that position, we'll be better off. And it's very s- similar to doing like a pin press or uh, a deadlift off blocks where you're loading up, you're overloading the movement in a different range of motion. You're just using bands.
0: Yeah, it's awesome, man. I just, I, I love everything about that. And you said you have that on squat racks too, right? Like basically anywhere that you go in the, in the new gym as, as, and in uh, method athletics, as well as method power, you pretty much, you can use bands basically anywhere, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that's uh, anywhere in the facility that, it, I mean, th- that's the tough thing too, is uh, with the COVID situation, we're now waiting on getting more bands in stock with these oh. places. Uh, all the bands we bought from Westside. Cause I know those guys beat them up enough where if they're using their own bands, then we're going to go to buy those things. Uh, so hopefully you have enough bands for next door, but they're, they're awesome tools. I think they're just a blast to work with too. They're fun because you can you know figure out, you grab a, a fish hook and or, um, a suitcase or I forget the name of it, but uh, uh, a suitcase scale, and you can figure out what resistance is on the bands at the top. And it, it, like any high school athlete, they want to lift the most weight possible. So when you tell them they're lifting a heavier weight at the top, it gets them involved too. So,
0: yeah, that's true. I never thought about it that way too. It's just like, yeah, 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 Doc, you're right. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, I like to tell myself that too. <laughs> and we do, pounds. we do, we do all the time. <laughs> We're lifting so heavy. Would you look at that, man? We are 400 <laughs> pounds on the ground. <laughs> That's awesome. Where would, um, where would one start with the bands too? Because I know there's different, different uh, thicknesses of the bands. And it's just, is there actually an actual program that you can go through with the bands? Like when do you scale up from a red to a black band and a black to a green band? Is there anything that like, you need to do if anyone's listening to this to kind of go through those processes or they just start with the red and kind of figure it out from there through the reps and ranges? I know that's a huge answer or a huge question.
1: So there's, there's different colors uh, to the bands and every company uses a different set of colors, but in general, what you're going to run into is like mini bands with West side, they're red. Uh, With most companies, they're red. I think elite FTS is one of the ones where they're green. Um, But using the smallest band and then scaling up from there is obviously the best idea because it is jarring at first to get that change in tension. And for some people, it does not feel comfortable in the sense of this doesn't feel right. It's not uncomfortable from a pain perspective, but it's just, man, this is a completely new movement to me. And that's why the guys at West side use it is because they drive a lot of their training behind CNS adaptation. So if you perform a movement too frequently Uh, you're going to adapt to that movement or your, your central nervous system is going to adapt to that movement too quickly and you're not going to get the desired training effect. So that's why they use the bands, which I agree to an extent. I think it's a little bit too quickly, uh, for them, especially with high school athletes. And we can get in that if we want to, but my general recommendation is start with the smaller band and just work up as you feel comfortable I'm really big on the whole RPE or the rating of perceived exertion. That's one thing that is an awesome training tool because it allows athletes to train submaximally, but also listen to what their training feels like. So God. they can be done with a movement and reflect on it. Whereas most, as most athletes, they get a sheet of paper at the beginning of their workout from their strength coach and they bust through it and then that's it. They never think about what they just did. So if you give an athlete the goal of, hey, I want you to define your RPE, or I even just want you to write down how many reps you did, they have to reflect on what they just did. So.
0: Yeah, you know, that's like a really good conversational topic, too, because I know there's a lot of talk about what's better percentage work or RPE scale, and a lot of people don't understand the RPE scale, and a lot of people are just like, just give me the fucking percentages, and I'll do the percentages, but even with that, you can kind of say, if you're a mindful athlete, even with the percentages, let's just say if you hit 5 by 5 at 85% of a back squat, if your first set feels like shit, we can talk about that. Like you should understand that you shouldn't grind out the next, you know, 20, 20 reps or 15 reps you have left, like figure it out and go from there. And I think that's what the RPE scale is really good at. It's like, okay, you know, hit a seven or hit an eight, like, you know, out of the 10. And it's like, how do you feel? Just like, I don't know. It's a little heavy today. Then it kind of gives you that variance of, I can only go that hard today. And I think that's a lot of, that's a lot of mindful work too, coming from the athlete. And I think we just kind of We'll burn through that. You know, like someone says you have to do a five by five at 85 back squat. Let's just say like, you know, I'm just going to do it like fifth set. Everything's felt like shit. Let's just keep on going. What's well, it's, your.
1: It's, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, yeah. but it's uh, I'm getting excited about it, too, because it's one of those things where uh, a lot of what we know about strength and conditioning, particularly within the college athletic space is pulled from Olympic weightlifting. So uh, weightlifting as a sport um, and being part of the Olympics drove a lot of the research behind uh, training uh, looking to increase, like, training effect within athletes, um, mainly because of the, the, uh, the country aspect of it. So you had, here you had a sport, Olympic weightlifting, that was within the Olympics, and you had Russia and the U.S. going back and forth within the 80s on Olympic weightlifting, and this was a point of national pride. Like you were in the middle of this massive kind of uh, Cold War era um, back and forth where the U.S. had to be better than Russia at everything and vice versa, where these scientists were well-funded uh, yeah. to do research on strength and conditioning effectively, but just for Olympic weightlifting. So from that standpoint, a lot of our kind of core model of what we know about repetition schemes and training effects comes from Olympic weightlifting. Uh, But the mentality hasn't transferred over very well uh, in that period of time. So a lot of athletes approach things with the mentality of going all out 100% all the time. And we don't necessarily look at um, sub-maximal training a whole lot. And now it's coming back, which is great. I think that's awesome because we should be. It helps prevent injury. Um, But it's just one of those things that didn't translate, even though we still use Olympic weightlifting movements, we still use different rep schemes like eight to 12 reps, Um, but the Olympic weightlifters, they don't train nearly as hard um, as I think a lot of strength and conditioning coaches for college programs are putting their athletes through. And that's something that we can learn from, from them is the goal of developing a training program for anyone and more specifically an athlete is to create the, or just get over the amount of stimulus required to create a training effect. So you want the athlete to train as little as possible to get the desired effect. So if you're overtraining an athlete, you're going to run into other issues. And that's one thing that I think we lose a lot in the communication with these Olympic weightlifters. These guys, that is that's all they're focused on. You know, they're hitting very, very low repetitions for their movements that are the Olympic lifts because things need to look perfect in order for it to happen well. And that's the beautiful thing about that sport in powerlifting, in athlete training back squats, deadlifts, um, hang cleans for a lot of these athletes, as well as their coaches, the movement quality, it doesn't matter. And that's one thing that we need to get back onto is submaximal training with a high quality movement.
0: No, dude, That's, that's, I love that you said that too, because I think, I mean, that can go for anything really. I mean, even if you're, excuse me, even if you're just a Uh, just a run of the mill, like the the gen pop that goes into like, you have to understand that like, just because you go to the gym or try to go to the gym eight days a week doesn't mean you're going to have the best output of that day. And what you're just to recap really quick, what you were saying about athletes or just the gen pop in general, less is almost more at that, at that point, because you can get back in the next day and the next day, then take a rest day and then get back in the following day, as opposed to destroying yourself, pushing your face into the fucking dirt and trying to come back the next day and like, oh, I don't want to be here. Now everything's changed, right? You have less sleep because you pound yourself in the ground and it just goes on. The dominoes just fall the opposite way that you want them to fall at that point. Is that kind of like the recap of what you were kind of saying? The more we can the more we train at a higher, uh, lower intensity, but just through that, just past that threshold in order to come back to recover, come back the next day and again and again and again to actually have proper adaptation to our programming.
1: Exactly. You're, you're looking for a long-term training effect and that's the goal. Right. And A lot of athletes, particularly, particularly youth athletes, they see massive training effects uh, in the beginning of their training at the high school level where they just start getting into the weight room and their bench press goes up 100 pounds in two months. And that is not necessarily an increase in growth strength. It's, they're just getting better at a skill. So you start bench pressing, you're going to get better at bench pressing. But at a certain point, all of that, uh, that training effect just from getting better at the skill starts to diminish. And you start running into less and less gains over time and that can be uh have an effect on their psyche where they're still looking for that 10 pounds every week but if we can communicate communicate with an a- athlete effectively hey we're looking for five pounds every two weeks or every month that still adds up to 60 to 100 pounds that's insane over a year and if we can do that four times you got an athlete lifting a ton of weight and that's going to transfer to their sport effectively. As long as that ton of weight looks good. I do not. I mean, that's, that's the one thing is, yeah, I hear about high school athletes and a lot of the time athletes come in, the high school athletes come in and they say, Hey, I can squat 400 pounds and we get them underneath the bar performing the movement correctly. And it's not even close to like 300. It's one of those things where it's just, it's just not, uh, it's not translated very well to these athletes where we want movement quality over everything because your sport is not to lift weights your sport is to play on the field and if we got them lifting weights and that's contributing to either overuse injuries or setting their mechanics up for injury on the field we're we now have an athlete that's not playing and that's not the goal my goal is to make you better not get you off the field and i, I don't care if you're the strongest guy sitting on the
0: bench i want you to be on the <laughs> performing (laughs) yet but I mean that's like that's the beauty and that's the beauty of what you do though you know it's like that's exactly how it should be and you see I mean you see it for I mean how long has it been it's still going on today where you know when is it going to change when is this type of thinking going to get into the high school weight room I know there's probably no money for it or no budget for it but at least if athletes can come to you, your facility, and your trainers that are in there and understand that the movement is wrong and this is how you do the movement, I think some things will open up in their, in their head. Their mindset will be like, wait a minute, man. I've been doing this for how long? The wrong way. Now I'm doing it the right way. My knees feel better. My hips, my ankles feel better. My mobility is better. I can now perform the movement the correct way. And holy shit, Like just a mindset around that too is like I'm doing it the right way as opposed to you know that some of, the, that some of these younger athletes when they're in the weight room you know, they're not calling each other on depth and, or they don't care if they're on depth or not, because they can just say, I got a 400 pound back squat at 14 years old. It's like, you know, there is a play in there too, but it's like, when is that going to end, man? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm sick of it because these kids at freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, senior levels, they shouldn't be having fucking surgery, man. They're in high school. Yeah. I think, uh, it's just encouraging. Like we were talking about before,
1: encouraging that mentality around being disciplined. You know, there's, there's, um, All these high school sports, they love having that aggressive mentality of we're going to get our work in and it's going to be awesome and we're going to get done and we're going to be the best. And that's 100% what you can accomplish with a more toned down emotional aspect to it. So with my athletes in here, I am almost never yelling. I think I've probably yelled maybe once or twice when we were looking for like a PR just for the sake of hitting it because we had it programmed and set up for that day and somebody was killing it where I've just hollered from the back once but it's never been a screaming in your ear balls to the wall environment because if we can get an athlete to perform in an emotional state that isn't a hundred percent they're going to perform even better in an emotional state that is a hundred percent you need to be able to perform things controlled when you're not under pressure so you can perform things controlled mm. under pressure. that's why practice is a thing you get out onto the field and you practice because there isn't pressure of messing up nearly as much as when you're playing a game and you're in the state finals there's a whole lot of pressure there there's an emotional aspect for that athlete um, that they're dealing with that we don't want to replicate within the weight room you need things to look good and you need them to be in the right psyche in order to train effectively.
0: I love it, man. I think, I think more more trainers, more coaches, uh, more physical therapists, they need to, you know, get on top of that. Cause I think movement, correct movement is less injuries. We all know that. And usually an imbalance could just be you're not strong enough on this side or that side. And it's one of those things like kids and gen pop can't go four, five, six, seven years down the line moving the exact same way when something hurts. And I think you've done a great job of kind of trying to chisel away at that. And it's it's it sucks because it's like you have such a great facility and I've never seen anything like your facility before. And it's like, damn it, man, we just need to like win that big ass lottery and put about a hundred of these out in the U S you know what I'm saying?
1: (laughs) Well, I think, uh, I, I mean, I agree that there's, and I've learned too from awesome mentors. mine. my, there's a a company in Chicago that I worked with performance in in motion um, while I was in school as my last rotation. And that's where a lot of, kind of this mentality has come from, and then I built a bit more of the strength and conditioning side on top of it, so they were primarily uh, physical therapists, but they had also done performance training things as well, um, so they they were a big, big component of developing uh, my professional outlook uh, as well, so I can't thank them enough for that, and then they've pulled from other great companies as well, Exos as another big one down in the city or not in the city, sorry, um, down, they have locations in Texas, Arizona, Florida. They work with Navy seals. They, they put out, at, I mean, I think I forget the exact numbers, but at least 80 plus athletes that are drafted in the NFL every year, Holy they're, shit. they're working with those guys prepping them from the combine and they're not well known in the general community, but within the strength and conditioning world and sports training, they're really well known. And there's, they've been doing a lot of really good work uh, in the past several years to work on, you know, those sorts of things, training outside of that traditional kind of eighties and nineties era, beat them up in the weight room sort of deal. And right. then the other thing too that I wanted to comment on is you know, movement quality is tops, like hundred percent. We need movement to look good, but if you're training and you're training hard, things are going to break down a little bit and that's okay too. It's always a set of criteria that you should be setting for an athlete where I wanted them to make sure that this, this, and this is happening and that this, this, and this isn't happening. So there's, there's always a neutral zone uh, within what you're looking for. And if somebody's working hard enough, things are going to break down. So I, without a doubt, things don't always look perfect, but they should look darn near it, or at least the athlete should be aware of what does look like perfect and working in that direction.
0: Yeah. It's all just about that education and, and it's having them understand through repetition of the movement, right? Like the, the the more you can get them in the repetition state and then they can take that with them wherever they go. And they know, Oh wait, Hey, that didn't feel right. Like that time. Let me, let me digress and like, think about what, you know, Dr. Gavin told me, Oh, I need, I forgot about this. I forgot about that. And it's one of those things like just education on top of education with these kids. Right.
1: And a lot of it too, is it, the training style changes just by merit of their age, as well as their experience where, Traditionally, you look at the research and if you want someone to develop gross strength or power, you want them operating within a certain rep range. So, for instance, gross strength, you want them sitting between that two and six rep range or above 90 percent or at nine RPE or eight RPE. Really, whatever research you subscribe to in terms of what you want to follow, that is the hard and fast from a data and information perspective of that's where strength builds. But if you look at it in the grand scheme of things with a youth athlete, sometimes if you want to develop their growth strength, you should be performing higher repetitions, eight to 15 repetitions, just by merit of creating practice for them. Mm -hmm. Because practice makes perfect. And if they get to practice first with a lighter load and make things look good, they'll understand how it's supposed to feel when they do get back to that two to six rep range. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's like, man, I really need this guy to get just stronger and bigger. Or I just need this athlete to be a little bit more explosive on their sprint. Maybe they just need a little bit more practice there. So more repetitions might be okay, but you have to account for it elsewhere. So you don't want someone doing, you know, thousands of repetitions in a workout, but you want them to get better at one thing, give them a little bit more of that thing. You, You want to get better at deadlifting, deadlift more. You want to get better at sprinting, sprint more.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of, there's another argument there too, where a lot of people are like, you know, you don't have to keep doing the same movement to get stronger. Just do all the accessory work. It's like, well, if it's not getting any stronger, there's probably a reason. And that's probably because you're in moving, you know, you're not moving correctly. And I think yeah. a lot of people have to take a step back and take some weight off a bar and you know how it works. I mean, you see egos all the time, no matter male or female from young to old, you know, like, no, 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 I'll just keep putting more weight on. It's like, no, no, it's coming. I can tell you the injury is coming. I can see it happening. The breakdown is going to happen. Guy. <laughs> and just follow
1: the money too i, I think that's one thing um, th- where if you follow the trend within the past five years you look at social media instagram has become huge back when i mean we're a little bit apart on age but when it comes to these high schoolers none of them have facebook and i feel so out of touch because <laughs> they're like man you use facebook still i'm all instagram <laughs>
0: God. Shut up, young kids.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's ridiculous, and I'm not even that old. But when you look at it, I mean, just from that perspective, is social media has changed so much within the past ten years. And if you follow the money idea of training, what makes the most money right now is selling bulk programming. So a lot of people put um, emphasis on how important their programming is, like what accessory movements am I doing to build up my deadlift, instead of focusing on. Does that look good? And am I listening to my body appropriately? Because it makes more money to sell programs. I can't go online. If, if I have a million followers on Instagram, I can't sell them, hey, I'm going to look at all of your training videos and say, hey, that doesn't look right. Or I'm going to listen to you tell me about how you feel day-to-day on these workouts and modify what you're doing day-to-day. But what I can do is sell a million people each my templated workout. And that's why programming, in my opinion, this is just a theory of mine, uh, has become so popular within the past, especially within the powerlifting community, within the past five years at minimum, because there's just more money in that. And so if these big figureheads within the industry start pushing that more, there's going to be more emphasis there.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think like playing devil's advocate, people are like, well, I don't know, man, I bought programming, it it jumped up on my lifts by 50, 60, 70 pounds. It's like, because you actually stuck to something for eight to 12 weeks. <laughs> that's probably why, but that's a great point too because I just had this conversation too with one of uh, a trainer that I know and he was like, how many clients you got now? And I'm like, what do you mean? I have a couple more than the last time I talked to you a couple months ago. And he's like, well, what happens if you do this or do that? It's like, listen, man, like you know me, Like if I get too many clients, I don't want to work with 50 people. I want to work with a small group of people so I can individualize and talk to them through the, through fitness, through nutrition and through mindset. The bigger that I get, the more people that I get 50 to 100, it'll be lost in the mix and I'll be giving everyone the same advice. And you know, and I know that that doesn't work. And if you want something done correctly, it has to really be individualized and or strength or sports specific. Once again, those cliche words, but that's kind of like exactly what you're saying, right? Like you can't give 100% focus to a million people. You know what I'm saying? You have to give it to this group of people.
1: I agree completely. Right.
0: It has to be that way, man.
1: Yeah. It's it's just merit of uh, the same thing like we were talking about with physical therapy and healthcare. It's become a volume game. And uh, it's a
0: shame, man. It really is.
1: Yeah. That's just been my business approach as well as personally is if I put my best foot forward with everyone and put in the time, then they're going to talk to more people and they're going to talk to more people. And that will be my lifeblood as opposed to just looking for volume. Uh, And so far it's paid off. Well, it's not one of those things where it's the, the business is rolling in money, hand over fist, but it's, I've created a small community of people that are engaged. I am proud enough to call some of my patients and plenty of my clients, uh, particularly the professional guys, my friends, you know, because a lot of the pro athletes that I'm working with in here are around my age and we can connect on those things and we spend enough time together in the one-on-one capacity that, you know, I can call them a friend. So I think that's, that's one thing that especially physicians now too need to spend a little bit more time with. I, I can't tell you enough how many times in uh, physical therapists too, where uh, a, a patient has come to me either from a physician or from another physical therapist, which is even more disappointing, and mm-hmm. uh, have told me that they felt like they were abandoned or they came in and they had a script for bicep tendonitis and it's not anything close to bicep tendonitis.
0: What work. causes that though? Like, what was that just cause they're on on the clock type thing and they just want to rifle through people? I mean, something right. like that when it comes in and you can diagnose it in five minutes, so let's just say 15 minutes on the high end. It's like, they didn't tell you this and they didn't tell you that. And how does this feel? And you're like scratching your head. Like that took me less than an hour to figure out that. And you came in here, how long have you been going to have? Like, what's the reason behind that? Is that just a money thing or? I think there's plenty of different reasons. Yeah. I think a lot of
1: it too. I, from the physician standpoint, one, that's not their rodeo. Like uh-huh. it, you get good at what you do and I don't cut people open on a daily basis. I don't prescribe medications. Uh, I don't provide medical diagnoses. So when someone comes into me and and they say, hey, my, my doc said this is uh, bicep tendonitis. Is it bicep tendonitis?" I can't say, yeah, it, it is or no, it isn't for sure because I'm not a medical doctor a physical therapist. But what I can say is this is what is impacting your pain problem. And this is how we're going to fix it. I have a suspicion that it is rotator cuff tendonitis over bicep tendonitis, but because I'm not a physician, I can't do that. Mm. So from a physician standpoint, uh, a lot of it is, it's just not their rodeo and it's better off for them to write a script to physical therapy and just get them out of the office to the right person. And I applaud them for that because a lot of physicians don't where you'll go in, and I'll caution anybody listen, listening to if you ever go to a physician with a pain problem, and they immediately are recommending surgery or injections, and they don't send you to a physical therapist prior to, run the opposite way, 100%. It is absolutely ridiculous and borderline unethical in most situations to do that, because it's much better to at least try something that's non-invasive where i'm not taking medication cortisone and injecting it into your joint or performing surgery it's much better to try physical therapy first and see if it'll work than to just start off with the invasive stuff so that's one recommendation on that end is it and i've had patients that have come in where they've yeah i got three cortisone injections before they even recommended me to physical therapy and i that that's unethical. In my opinion, It just doesn't make any sense, even from a common sense standpoint. But-
0: that just has to come back to a money thing, man, because they just keep coming back. Oh, you come back in three, six months, come back in three, six months, just like training. You're going to get used to that, right? Like you'll eventually be like, it's not working anymore. And like, oh, well we have to up your ante of this script or here's a new script to take on top of it. It's like, now look at the problems that we're going to have. Not to mention these things have you know, massive side effects at the end, not just with your own mindset, but I mean, like they could have physical things too. So I think, thank you for telling the community, like you have to always look the, uh, yeah, go talk to someone else. A conversation isn't going to cost you anything, or at least it fucking shouldn't cost you anything. You know, at least it shouldn't, <laughs> if, it, if it does go somewhere else. Yeah.
1: You know? <laughs> but it, it it's uh, like you said, there's without a doubt a money a money driven emphasis on some of these things. But there, there also is uh, the perspective of, from the physical therapist side, where these physicians might have referred a patient that has a certain pain problem to a physical therapist consistently, and the physical therapist has never been able to fix it. And in the physician point, it's, I sent that person to physical therapy and it didn't work. So we have to do this and say, Hey, I've done that eight times with a patient. I'm just going to start injecting them every time they come in because I'm going to say, well, here we go again. I'm going to send it to a physical therapist and they're going to come back still in the same problem. So let's just skip that six or eight weeks of the issue and go right to it. When in reality, it was the lack of either knowledge base or time or, con- or like context of the, the physical therapy clinic to perform the result to make these people better. Um, so for instance, I guess one example, I had a patient come in, That had been to a physical therapist, had done five or six weeks of physical therapy, had a torn labrum in their hip, and they had surgery scheduled, and they were gonna be out of work for eight months. And then, by recommendation from a friend, they came and saw me. They had no business having surgery, Uh, they were without a doubt did not need it. Uh, It was just the issue of the physical therapist that they were working with prior to was perpetuating their pain problem by miss, I guess, misidentifying what the issue was. So she worked with me for three weeks, pain was gone. Um, Still some issues with sprints, that sort of deal. But over the course of the next four or five weeks, all good to go nurse, no surgery happened. So sometimes these physicians, they just see, hey, thumbs up or thumbs down on physical therapy, instead of asking, was that physical therapy high quality. And from the same standpoint with physical therapists too, I think we need to start holding each other more accountable, all healthcare practitioners. Uh, There's there's a movement uh, now where, well, it's probably died down with the COVID situation, but a lot of physicians are saying that we need to start holding um, other healthcare practitioners more accountable for poor care, because we're the only ones that recognize that poor care. Um, So, you know, someone off the street or a patient isn't going to be able to have a visit with a physician or physical therapist and realize that was bad because they don't know. And it's like, if I call a plumber into my house and the plumber tells me something's wrong with my toilet and I don't know anything about the toilet, I'm not, I'm going to say, yeah, fix it. Go ahead. And I'm not going to know if it was good or bad. So yeah.
0: Yeah. So do you, do you see, um, do you see, uh, does that, is that a troublesome thing for you in your business too? Like, does you, do you see a lot of people that come in and they're just kind of like, I don't think that this is a movement thing. I think this might be a surgery thing. Are you like, no, like, like, oh, but you can only say so much, right? You can't be like, I guarantee. Cause obviously you can't say that, but is it, do you, do you find it hard to, when people come in they're like, I just don't get this type of voodoo that you do.
1: Yeah. You, you know, there's always and that a lot of that comes from experience, but there are uh, clinical prediction rules too. So there's research out there that identifies, Hey, if, uh, for instance, Ottawa ankle ankle rules. Um, if an athlete has an injury, like they roll their ankle on a court and they have pain at their medial or lateral malleoli, uh, or they can't bear weight on and walk on that leg, then they have to or they should go get x rays. So there are rules like that that are set up for us where we can learn about them and know hey, if a patient comes in and they're presenting this way, we can say, uh, you know, The research has said that we might have to have surgery on this, or we can just talk about from our anecdotal experience as well, as long as we're being honest with the patient. And that's the biggest thing that I go with is I'm going to have an upfront conversation. I'm going to tell them, listen, I can't guarantee results, but in general, this is what I've seen in the past. Um, And this is what we're going to go with planning forward and provide options to patients. I think that's the biggest thing, too, is. I've had patients that have gone into surgeons, and the surgeon said, Nope, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. We need to do surgery next week instead of providing information to the patient, they just say, This is what has to happen oh. and uh, that's i my recommendation to anybody listening is is question ask questions I mean they are there working for you so stop them from leaving the door and say hey no hold up a second doc like we got to slow down and you have to explain what the actual problem is to me and then learn about those things too so if they say hey this is issue go learn about it you know don't become an armchair physician where you're like well it's this this and that but try to learn a little bit more about what's going on because then that way when you get a second opinion you're a little bit more informed so it's it's one of those things where i think it's just the culture of healthcare has created uh is created an issue with asking questions and becoming informed, where it needs to be a little bit more of educating the patient and connecting with them as opposed to just treating what's in, sitting in front of you.
0: I love it, man. I think that's definitely a great way to look at it. And I think you have a, a- a great business that is doing that and putting that, you know, putting that forward of ev- of everything and, and not really suggesting the other side or not suggesting the other side at all. And, and just getting stronger in general could be, you know, the baseline for a lot of people to cure a lot of different things through movement and imbalances, man. And I think you, I think you really have opened up the doors to something that could, I hope just spread like wildfire throughout the community, your community and your space.
1: Yeah. Like you said, I think people just generally need, uh, not generally, but there's plenty of athletes that walk through the door and, they just need to get a little bit stronger. You know, they have all this mobility, particularly youth, female athletes. They really get uh, the shit end of the stick when it comes to how mobile they are. And then they don't have the right resources to become stable within that m- mobility. So there's very common saying, stability within mobility. If, uh, in my opinion, and a lot of physical therapists, especially in the area, are very focused on mobility and stretching and getting mobile, and that's why you're hurting. I think it's the exact opposite. I think, you know, I think you need to generate your stability within the mobility that you do have in order to stay healthy, as opposed to focusing on having all the mobility in the world and not focusing on your stability. So I don't care if someone's stiff everywhere, just as long as they're stable where they are, and then we can work on the mobility afterwards. But stability within the mobility that they do have is the priority before increasing mobility, 100%.
0: That's awesome, man. Hey, so we're coming up to the top of the hour and or we are in it. And you know what I like to do here, I like to throw my guests into the wildfire here. So three actionable items that you can give our community right now they can use as soon as we get off this podcast, but I'm going to hold you to just three fitness things that they can do straight after straight out of here. All right. So three, fitness- and, you, and you can't say come join method power. You can't say that, <laughs> yeah, but that would be such a great, well, unfortunately you <laughs> we can't do
1: that right now. It's all uh, closed down. But I think uh, three things would be one uh, learn like get off just in and fact check me you know if I was saying things go go research that you know come up with an argument for it or against it and have a conversation with somebody about it just keep learning uh, the second one would be to be develop a plan so work identify what you're going to learn <laughs> maybe that would be first um, but have a plan of action for what you're going to be doing over the next couple weeks. When you get back into the gym, Um, have a plan for when you get back in and and actualize on that plan. And then, uh, man, I don't know what the third one would be really putting me on the spot here. uh, Yeah. I think the third one would be to, uh, the third one would be to just relax and enjoy what's going on with, with the world right now. I think a lot of people are, Myself included, anxious to get back to things and anxious right. to get back and work with it, but uh, find a way to continue to grow. Uh, there's things going around where people with a growth mindset in this in this time period, like you said, every day. Like this podcast is built around is everyday growth. Right. Is relax a little bit, take a step back, um, stop freaking out about things, and and find a way to grow with what you have right now.
0: I love it, man. Dr. Gavin, thank you so much for being on, man. I really do appreciate it. If you could uh, let the community know where they can find you at, what Instagrams you have, and uh, how they can go and kind of give you an email to see if they want to be treated by you as well. Where can they go for all that good stuff, and what should yeah. they follow, my man?
1: So uh, Instagram, uh, Method Athletics, and Method Power Gym, both, both of those are perfect. Send me a direct message on there if need be. You can reach me by, by, by email at gavin, G-A-V-I-N, at methodathletics.com. Uh, or just through our website, too. We got forms to fill out on there. Uh, Really, any way that you want to get in touch, I'm there. You're going to be talking to me. not going to be talking
0: to anybody else. No automated person from India, (laughs) right? No, no no secretary or anything either. It's a one-man show over here. (laughs) That's right. He's tired, kids. He's tired. I'm telling you what, a kid works his ass off. So, Gavin, thank you so much for being on, man. Thank you for your time and energy. I really do appreciate it. I know that time energy you're not going to get back. So our our community and myself really do appreciate you coming on, man. It's truly an honor to have you on and actually have the very first doctor on the podcast, man. So thank you so much for being here, man. I really do appreciate it. Appreciate it as well. All right, guys, go follow uh, Dr. Gavin and uh, Method Athletics and Method Power, guys. Till next time, peace and love. There you have it, community. Another amazing episode. How awesome were those actionable items that Dr. Gavin Weir gave us? Number one, he said... Keep on learning. Just keep learning. Fact check him. Fact check what's going on in the world today. Fact check your programming. Everything has to do with your health, your fitness, nutrition, your mindset. Read up on it. Don't ever stop learning. The second thing he said is develop a plan and have a plan of action. No matter where you're going, no matter what your goals are, have a plan. Attack that plan. Stick to it. Attack it. You'll get to your goal faster that way than just kind of go through things haphazardly. And his third thing he said, which is awesome for the mindset of today, with whatever is going on in the world today, whatever you guys are going through through your adversities, remember to stay calm. Take a deep breath and stay calm. Continue to grow through this time. There's This really isn't a time just to sit back and not do anything and let the woes of the world come crashing down on you. We're better than that in this community. Stay calm and continue to grow. Like always, guys, thank you for listening to this episode, and I hope you enjoyed the show. But before you go I do have one more favor to ask of you. Please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend. This is how we're able to grow and educate more and more people each and every day. Also take a second and take a screenshot and tag myself everydayanthonyj on your Instagram page and or tag Dr. Gavin Weir at Method Power Gym or Method Athletics. Let us know what your favorite part was so we can show you some love right back. And also do me a huge favor and head on over to YouTube go ahead and hit the subscribe button to that as well. It's a brand new channel with just a podcast on it for right now. But going into the future, we'll have nutrition, fitness, and mindset-related videos and some things here and there for working out and things you should and shouldn't be doing. So eventually, I'll be vlogging on that. But for right now, it's just a podcast. But guys, thank you so much for your time and your energy. It means the world to me that you lend me your ear for the last hour or so. And listen to what Dr. Gavin Weir and myself were talking about. I really am truly grateful, and it almost brings a tear to my eye every single time I talk about it. People listening to what we have to say over in six countries now is just completely mind-blowing. I couldn't thank you guys enough. You are truly, truly the best community, and it's only going to get better from here on out. Please have an amazing and wonderful day, and until next time, peace and love.